Hi there, and welcome back to the Rash Cast with Jake and John. I'm Jake. And I'm John. Uh, sorry about the hiatus of a week and a half. It wasn't our fault. It was COVID's fault. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, what were we going to talk about last weekend? I mean, the Mets sim game that we saw from the roof? So, uh, regular listeners to this broadcast will know that Johnny was going to come in and watch the game on Sunday. Johnny came in. He was supposed to watch the entire series, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, that did not end up happening. Uh, so he went yes. back home without having seen a single Nats game. Now, obviously, that's not the biggest job story to come out of. Uh, it's the worst thing to happen no. out of all of this. It's the worst tragedy of COVID. And I think that's undisputable. Yes. yes. But so I think... So now, but after we talked about it, after taking the weekend off, and so we decided to change the form, not really change the format, but kind of, you know, we wanted to tackle the 2021 season a little bit differently this year. And so I think what we're going to do now is after every series this year, we're going to do a podcast, kind of series breakdown of the previous series and a series preview of the next one. Yep. So that's kind of where we see this podcast going for the Nets, you know, more hyper-focused on series stuff, you know, breaking down the last three games, looking forward to the next three it worked out beautifully today. We had an off day today to record, to do the podcast. So that's what we're doing for you guys. Yep. Uh, and, yeah, the nice thing about baseball is that it lends itself sort of – it has these sort of self-contained, generally twice a week, uh, things that you can recap, like these episodes, I guess, uh, in series. And so we're sort of going to move to that schedule as long as we stick with it. Uh, yeah. So to start us off, the Nats finally, finally got on the field yeah. this week. Hooray. Uh, they played three games in two days or one game and two seven-inning games, depending on how you feel about that rule. Uh, and yep. uh, they were down nine players on their roster, including their starting first baseman, their starting... Uh, they're, so they're both catchers. They're, still, they're starting first baseman. They're starting third baseman. Starting left fielder. They're three and four starters. And they're closer. And then also Jordy Mercer. Right. And also Jordy Mercer. Yep. The biggest tragedy of Jordy. them all. I know. Lamborghini Mercer. So uh, Sad. that being said, they won one of three games, uh, which was good. Uh, I mean, all things I mean, considered. Look, all things considered, it was a pretty solid series. I mean, the offense didn't look anemic like I expected it to, especially having taken a week and a half off, A, first of all. Second of all, missing half of your lineup. The top of the order produced. Robles you know, is getting on base at a very healthy clip right now. You know, he, he had a great at series in terms of walking. I think, what, he had four walks this series? Yeah, uh, that sounds Four incredible. walks. He had a couple base hits. I mean, that's exactly what you want for a leadoff hitter. Trey Turner... Looks like he's picking off where he left off last year. Juan Soto doing Juan Soto things with his walk-off single. Those hit like a fucking piss missile. Um, Starling Castro looked good. Zim looked good. I mean, that's the guys you're looking at right now who actually matter. And they yep. all look pretty good so far. Of, of the players on this team who are key members of this team and are expected to be key members of this team going forward, the only one that would give you even mild concern was Scherzer. Who, yeah, I'm not. I'm not even that concerned about Scherzer. He struck out nine, didn't walk anybody, got through six innings, only gave up five hits, 
just so happens that four of them went over the yard, over the fence, which, uh, yeah. you know, he made a lot of mistakes. His stuff looked kind of flat. He's leaving balls in the middle of the plate. Uh, I mean, it, the thing is, though, it looked it looked flat, like out out the gate, which makes sense if you take a week and a half, uh, ten days off from pitching, your stuff might look a little flat. Well, I mean, and then he and then he picked up and improved. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's not the most concerning thing in the world. He just gave up four homers. No, it happens. He did give up four homers. I feel like that's gonna be a lot with with Scherzer this year. I think that's. I mean, it's always kind of been his kryptonite. It's the long ball. He gives us a lot of homers. But good thing for him, they're usually solo shots. I mean, I really wonder if we could look this up and figure it out. Who's giving up the most solo home runs in their career? Because I'm sure Scherzer would be very high up there. Because I feel like he gives up a, a million solo shots. Yeah, but I mean, and the, the if nice can... thing about solo home runs, I mean, the, the king of giving up solo homers was a, a guy by the name of Robin Roberts, pitched for the Phillies in the 1950s. Uh, and, you know, his philosophy was one run is just one run. If you're, you know, only making a couple mistakes a game, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, Scherzer's line at the end of the day, from a whip perspective, from an XFIP perspective, which only takes into account strikeouts and walks and disregards and normalizes home run rate, uh, Scherzer had an excellent outing. Uh, mm-hmm. Not that that's a real statistic. Uh, given that we now think that pitchers have a lot more control over their home run rate than XFIP believed. Uh, but uh, Scherzer, you know, the, the, the line at the end of the day didn't look great, uh, but the fastball velocity, it was a little bit down, but not concerningly so for a guy who'd taken a couple weeks off, not by choice. Uh, I'm going to refrain yeah. from evaluating anyone based on one start uh and i'm definitely gonna refrain from writing max scherzer off because of one start that he had against a very good team after he hadn't pitched in 11 days uh i mean all the homers i mean he gave two to acuna one to freeman two those are guys two by the way uh he was pitching to a uh a pitch a catcher that he hadn't thrown to in his entire career uh, hadn't even yeah. talked with. He was signed off the street two days prior. <laughs> so, yep. Uh, that being said, I think the best and most optimistic development for the Nats this series, and the only one that really matters from a long-term perspective, is how Steven Strasburg looks. Bort. He, he boarded yesterday. One hit in six innings, 85 pitches, two walks, eight strikeouts. Uh I mean, you you couldn't have asked for more. I mean, his fastball was his velocity was still. What were you going to say? I was going to say his fastball was ninety two ninety four. It touched ninety five. It was maybe a tick down from twenty nineteen, but not concerningly mm-hmm. so. His stuff looked good. Yeah. The the most fun part about that outing to me was there were times in it. Uh, you know, it's fun to watch Strasburg when he has all three pitches working, but to me, for some reason, it's really fun to watch Strasburg when he only has one pitch working. But it's working and it's phenomenal. Yeah, I yeah. mean, and if it's a changeup, especially because that, I mean that changeup, I still think is a top five pitch in the game right now. I think Stras- Steven Strasburg changeup is one. It's absolutely insane how good of a pitch that is. That thing just will look like a fastball until it falls off the table at the last second, and just absolutely just. And he can pinpoint location it too, where he can throw the fastball, then the changeup in the exact same spot. 
I mean, I think you remember this in 2019 when he threw the fastball curveball changeup all in the same spot, yep. the same batter. I in mean, that game against that, the Marlins. That, that was amazing. Against the Marlins, yes. Yeah. I mean, just how he's able to pinpoint when he has all of his pitches, all of his pitches, but even when he just has his changeup, how he's able just to pinpoint and locate it just to keep hitters completely off. Like, I mean, if you told me, you know, when we drafted Steven Strasburg a decade ago, that he would, his, his off speed stuff would be, I mean, his curveball was killer then, but that his changeup was, was the thing that gets you. Like, I think that's just so remarkable with him, how much he's developed that pitch to really be his ace pitch. If you were to tell me that Steven Strasburg, was throwing, I mean, in 2010, if you were to tell me that Steven Strasburg was throwing 92 to 94, topping out at 95, uh, you know, I would assume that he was not pitching effectively, which isn't like then the book on Strasburg when he came out as a, you know, as a 1-1 overall uh, out of San Diego State. And the reason that he had all the hype that he did was because it was believed that he was not just all stuff, but he was just an immensely polished pitcher. Like he, he was supposed to be sort of mm-hmm. a wind and go type that you could just, uh, you know, take out of the box and he would be the ace that you like an ace right out of the draft. And that's why the hype around him was so incredible. But I mean, to a certain extent, there were things that he knew, he didn't know about pitching that you sort of saw in, in 2012 and 13 that he's sort of developed as a pitcher. And it's not just the off-speed. It's just like yesterday, uh, one of the things that he did incredibly well was he pitched backwards a lot, threw a lot of first-pitch curveballs uh, for strikes. Mm-hmm. He would throw a lot of curveballs and fastball counts. Uh and, you know, he didn't have great – he had good command of his curveball. The curveball wasn't, you know, unhittable like it is some days. But he would use it to set up his other pitches, especially his changeup, yeah. which he had yesterday. And, and I think that's something, that's something about Strasburg that's so great is that even when he, when he has only one pitch working, as you're saying, that he can use his other pitches still – to set up the other pitch, and he was doing all of like, that with a, a rookie catcher who I mean he's thrown to it, it wasn't quite a Scherzer Lucroy situation Strasburg has thrown to mm-hmm. Trace Pereira you know in spring and sides and stuff but Strasburg was basically calling his own game yesterday uh, yeah and yeah definitely I mean he's he's a pitcher and as long as he's healthy you know he's gonna be good so yeah the key thing I'm very is optimistic about Strasburg healthy. Yeah. I um, mean, and then I guess we could talk about, you know, the other starter, Eric Fetty. We're not going to. The less awful. said about Eric Fetty, the better. What is there to yeah, say? I mean, the guy, he was I think throwing... the only thing to say is that the, the rotation is probably only five deep. Uh, and that's a challenge. That's going to be tricky for us all year. Yeah. Um, you know, that's probably what the biggest takeaway from that is, is that we just can't rely on Fetty. I mean, we'll see. I'm sure both will get a spot start eventually. We'll see what he has, but it's really that this rotation just might be Saturday. Yeah. Uh, so but, yeah, I mean, the big problem here is Fetty's stuff was playing up as much as it could. His fastball was ninety six. He's topping out at ninety six. His fastball, like unless you think that there's some sort of secret reserve of velocity he's got, 
that this is as good as his stuff was going to get, and he still couldn't get outs. Like he was he was throwing uncompetitive pitches, he was getting hit around. Obviously, there was a sort of drop. I don't know what you want to call it by Victor Robles in center field that sort of changed that second inning around. But the ball was yeah. hit very hard. It wasn't like Fetty made a good pitch. Uh, no. And he melted down. I think he there. lost in the sun. I think Robles probably lost in the sun. That was a tough time of day to field. It was a very strange play. Robles, from my perspective, from my vantage point, seemed like he was drifting with the ball when he would have been better off running to a spot. It wasn't great center field mm. play, but that's beside the point. The point is that Eric Fetty is not a major league pitcher. And I, I don't no. think, and I don't know why people think that he is People? A, person? One person thinks that he might be a major <laughs> league caliber reliever. One person and the Nets. Uh, yes. It, I mean, unless you think that six strikeouts per nine and four walks per nine is going to – something drastic is going to happen with this guy in relief, like – I just I don't see it. I don't see him becoming a viable major league pitcher, starter or. Reliever. I feel like we need, I feel like we need this men- not mentioned person on the podcast to defend Eric Fetty at one point sometime we soon. Yes, he's we will. He's invited. Uh, there are plans he's a st- in the works. Standing offer. There there are plans in the works to get him and the Washington Post Jesse Doherty on at the same time to you know have a great debate and hash out these major issues in in sports uh, today but uh yes. that's in the works anyway uh yeah eric fetty is not good so uh and so that's 27 yeah. through 35th men on this roster are not very good uh and nope getting completely shut down by a guy whose name was wasker Ninoa uh was not good uh but i mean i understand Andrew like through stevenson you was have your five three winner. It was yeah, when you have three uh, three major league red, uh, talented players in a lineup, you're generally not going to do too hot. So yeah. it was. Uh, I it say was the ugly. Nationals should, if they want to win more games, is not get COVID. Uh, that's just my opinion. Yeah, that's so. Got to be a key to the season. Don't yeah. get COVID again. Don't Go get, get COVID your again. vaccines, you dopes. Yep. If there vaccines. are any, if there are any Washington Nationals players who somehow. Have decided to listen to this podcast because they really enjoy being criticized for half an hour by professional jerks. Uh, get your vaccines, you giant idiots. Yes. Yes. Uh, At least Max is getting his vaccine. Yes, his vaccine, he's getting I, vaccine. I might say. Uh huh. I think that's the same pun that yep. everyone's making. But yeah. Anyway. Uh, so looking so that's, ahead, that's I think if, yeah, looking ahead to next series. Uh, and I guess just as an aside before we move on, uh, I was in the ballpark for all three games. Oh yeah, let's talk about that. Uh, How was the ballpark experience? It's a little eerie. It's like, like, especially for the second games, the the double header. It has a feel of like, like it's very hard to create atmosphere because. There are only 5,000 people. It has sort of the the atmosphere of a Nats-Marlins rescheduled hastily doubleheader game. Like, it's there's just not a lot of people there. They make more, like, the crowd is still a factor. You can still hear them. It's, it's 
you know, it's, it's a little weird, but at the same time, it's just so nice to be at a baseball game again. Like actually yeah. what, like I think baseball more than any other sport is the sport that benefits most from being there in person. There are things you can see in the game day experience at the ballpark that you can't see when you're watching on TV. Uh, you know, I was listening to the Mets broadcast today, uh, the radio broadcast, and Howie Rose and Wayne Randazzo were talking about how difficult it is to broadcast the game off the monitors because you're limited in what you can see by what the producer chooses for you to see. Uh, and that's obviously difficult for radio broadcasters, but it's also true for fans. We can't experience all the different things that you can sort of pick up on going to a game when you're watching it on TV. So it was really nice to be there. It's frankly, you know, after a year plus of COVID, it's nice to be anywhere. Nice to have an event to go to. But uh, hopefully May 1st, uh, the city is considering, you know, easing some of the restrictions and maybe adding capacity. So I just, you know, I'm not, not going to opine on that from a uh, uh, medical perspective or whatever. I'm just going to say that it would be very nice if everyone could get a chance to go to a game this year. Yep. I'm hoping that I come back down some point in May for a game. Yep. Hopefully we'll have you. Yep. So now let's look forward to this weekend. This weekend, the Nationals will be taking on the Dodgers for a three-game set. Tomorrow's first game is at 4.05, and then we got a 9.10 start and then a 4.10 start. So, well, it's actually 4.10 tomorrow. Tomorrow we got Joe Ross taking on Walker Bueller. Then we have TBD versus Julio Urias, and then TBD versus TBD on Sunday. Ooh, I love TBD. Is that new? If it's, if it's what I think it is, I think I had it for a week in college. <laughs> That's not the one. And anyway, uh, close enough. So what, oh, what the eighties is the line. What can you say about this series? The Nats are playing the best team in baseball, and we don't even know how many Nats are going to be at this series. Like, yeah, uh, we don't know. If we could take, starts. I'd be happy with. I'd be happy with one win from this series, to be honest. Yeah, I would be really just happy if the Nats found a way to get whichever players are able to come out of their protocols onto the field this weekend. Uh, they've got four players who are COVID positive and are probably down for a while. They've got five players who are in the COVID protocols who are close contacts who keep testing negative. Now, by my math, their 10th day, the day they should be cleared, is tomorrow. But as Davy Martinez said, you're playing a day game on the West Coast. If they get cleared tomorrow, how do you get them to the field? Because they're not cleared to exactly. fly until tomorrow. So who knows what's going to happen? And that's also a problem where, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to speculate on which of the four are the COVID positives and which of the five who are not. Uh, but we've heard that John Lester is among the positives and that Patrick Corbin is uh, among the close contacts. Uh, so they're, the Nats have not been able to announce their rotation because I guess there's still some hope that Corbin can start on Saturday. Well, uh, even even if he can get cleared, you know, you're asking a guy who hasn't been working out for two for almost two weeks now to come off cold to throw on Saturday. I wouldn't do that. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I assume that he hasn't been able to, like, skirt protocols and go throw a bullpen at any time. Uh, it's it's hard to say what his – like, I don't think he hasn't been working out. If there's any yeah. positive aspect to this, it's that it happened at home versus on the road. So these players have all been home and in their home gyms. Uh, yeah. So I don't think he's, like, out of shape or, like, got a beer belt. No, I, I don't mean that, but he hasn't thrown a bullpen. Like, he hasn't probably pitched in a week and a half. Yeah, this is where having children early would have been a good move. He would have had someone to throw with. Uh, exactly. But I I don't know. I have no idea. Like, Or you could be like Max Scherzer on. and just have a live-in catcher with you. <laughs> Did that last year with Brian Holiday. This year, yeah. he just took uh, Nat's bullpen catcher and he jumped uh, a fence in, like, some Prince William County Little League park, and he went and threw a bullpen man, which I love very much. But that man's a psychopath. But I mean, he had to do it. He had to throw. Like yeah. that's his job. Uh, so I don't know. It, I have no idea what's going to happen here. Uh, I don't know if the Nats are going to have to like uh, put these, you know, the starters. Are out right now, Corbin and Lester. I don't know if they're going to have to put them on a throwing plan. I don't know when they're expecting them to come back. Uh, I would expect that Scherzer will start on Sunday uh, because, as much as the Nats don't want to sort of rush him any more than they have to, he'll be on four days rest. And I mean, they don't have anyone else who can pitch. Someone's got to pitch on Sunday. So uh, Ross blank Scherzer would be my expectation for who's going to start. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. It would be great to steal a it, game. I don't know who's going to be in the I lineup mean, on Friday. Uh, from what yeah, we've heard, yeah. Schwarber's among the positive tests and Josh Bell is not. So it'd be nice to get Bell back. I, so, I mean, we have Zim still. I mean, I, I think, I mean, the biggest upgrade would be obviously, honestly, Josh Harrison coming back. So you don't have to fucking play Hernan Perez in the infield. I, I'm very sick of seeing Hernan Perez. Yeah. Very tired of it. I mean, it's very interesting that the, the Nats old... chose to start him instead of moving Castro to second and playing Kiboom, who was their, you know, projected opening day third baseman on February 28th. Yeah. Uh, and I guess they're really, really low Hernan on him. Perez. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's not great. Not great, not great. for, for and, Carter Keboom. And uh, talking about the Dodgers now a little bit, I mean, they're still looking just as good. They're 5-2 and two on the year. Um, I mean, the guys they have lined up against the Nats, Walker Bueller had a great first start. Urias had a great first start, a fantastic first start. Yeah, I mean, this is a pretty uh, – uh, He got through the eighth, got to the eighth, I mean, on like yeah. 77 pitches. Yeah. So, and then whoever they start on Sunday, I mean, whether it's, I don't think it's going to be Bauer and maybe Bauer, maybe it's May. Don't think it's Kershaw. So one of those three, whoever it, doesn't it is, matter. Is very All good. five of their starting pitchers are amazing. And then their sixth yeah. starter is amazing. And their seventh starter is amazing. It's a really good They're team. a very good team. A very good team. They're hitting still. Yeah, let's just see what happens this weekend. I'm not, I have low expectations, but you know what? I will say this about just everything going on is that somehow, of all of this, from last year to this year, 
it's just some I think just having this be the 162 season just makes everything feel just so much more real and tangible and actual baseball. Yep. I think just knowing that, that you know one loss isn't catastrophic as much, knowing that you could ease into a season, you could miss like two weeks of your team and still be fine. Just knowing that just makes you feel a little bit more better and like that this is a real season. And I think I'm enjoying I'm enjoying this a hell of a lot more than I did last year. Not not even just because the Nats came out of the bait gate so poorly, but also just because it just felt so fake. And I wonder if it's also fans coming back and stands as adding to it a little bit, but or it was just the 162. But it just feels so much more real, and I'm I'm just happy about that. Yeah, I mean I I completely agree. It's hard to get panicky about something that's happening in the first week of the season uh, when you've got so many more games to go. I mean, obviously, like, you look at last year. Like, the Nats missed Juan Soto for seven games. Seven games was almost a fifth of their season. No, that's not right. Uh-huh. Math is hard. No. Seven games was... That's not even close to right. Nearly 10% of the season, like 12% of the season. Right, 12%. Math is very difficult. Anyway, it was 12% of their season. 12% of the season over 162 games is, like, 20 games. So, like, that's the equivalent of losing Juan Soto for almost a month, saluting, losing him for a week. Like, it's it's a completely different feel. Like, yep. the Nats will get their players back. They can't lose anything in the first week of the season. Uh, I don't know that they were I'll really f- – it's that. I'll also say this about this, is that I am of the belief that if you're going to lose your team, it's actually better to lose it against the tough teams than the easy teams. Because the easy teams are more make upable games than the tough teams. Tough teams, you might lose these games regardless, you know, playing the Braves and the Dodgers. Um, but, you know, if you can steal a game playing those guys and get your team back against the easier, easier games, then that's, I find that better than the other way around. Yeah, I think, frankly, even if the Nats were fully healthy uh, and coming into L.A., I think you would still consider one out of three to be a victory. Uh, yep. So if they go one out of three without, you know, however many players they're missing, uh, you know, it's it's a stolen game. Yep. I don't know. I well, mean, it, it's frustrating that they've started the season like this. Uh, nothing you can do about it except go get vaccinated. You know, we can sort of be secure in the knowledge that this almost certainly won't happen again unless the players are very, very stupid. And I don't yeah. imagine that they will be. Uh, mm-hmm. So, lot to look forward to. 159. Yeah, games teams left. are getting more vaccinated. Yeah, teams are getting more vaccinated. So, it looks like we'll have a pretty normal season this year. Yep. All right. So we'll uh, talk cool. to you again on Sunday after the Dodgers and the Nats play three. Uh, hopefully, you enjoy these bi-weekly installments. If you don't, uh, then we'll try really hard to make them better. Uh, but, uh, I guess we'll see you Sunday. See you Sunday.